that there is an audience and a public out there who wholeheartedly love hospitality. And we're worrying about it dying? Like, fuck off, no way. Like, we'll be fine, the, the people are ready. When I think about Dan Sims, I see rooms full of people. I feel a sense of great conviviality. I feel ensconced in the celebration of people, many people doing things together. Uh, Dan Sims runs Revel. It's an event company. Uh, started with wine, but moving into cheese. But being in the event business, Dan, it's not really ideal at the moment, is it? Uh, hi, Danny, and uh, hi, everyone. Um, yeah, well, look, as a mass gathering business, it's uh, look, let's just say it's been a quite a challenging year, 2020, for sure. Tell us uh, what you were about to do as the pandemic uh, closed down upon us. Oh, wow. Where to start, huh? I mean, what a ride. Um, look, I think, uh, as I said, you know, we're we are all about bringing people together and we were five days away from running what was to be our biggest cheese festival in Brisbane called Mould uh, and we obviously had to to shut that down and yeah it's funny looking back now and just how fast uh, things were rapidly changing um, uh, when all that information was coming at hand so we were in a sort of interesting position where we go, okay, right, we had to postpone the event. That's one thing. And then the second thing was, um, uh, you know, our cheese producers had made around 1.5 to almost 2 tonne of cheese for that event. And with restaurants shutting down very quickly after, um, you know, mass gatherings, we had to really work hard to help them sell that product. Uh, so that was sort of that was one of the first challenges. But yeah, it's funny even going back even before COVID, um, twenty twenty. I mean, can, can you remember the bushfires <laughs> that that happened at the start of the year? We already had a range of producers that were already directly impacted, whether it be from the fires themselves or the impacts from tourism. So we were really looking forward to mm. getting back to getting out in front of people, getting the brand out there, helping them sell cheese. So. Uh, them having that sort of excess excess stock was a way to go, okay, well, how can we move and move fast uh, to help and support them? And uh, through our experience with our wine events, was we've always encouraged people to buy direct, but we very quickly discovered that a lot of the producers weren't necessarily set up for direct-to-consumer sales. So hence, um, after a lot of scrambling we established the mold cheese collective uh, which is a way to go okay right well how can we help and add value and help them get their product uh, to people um, you know whether that be through the mold right. audience or pinot palooza audience but yeah it's look it, like it, i look back as i said you know it was a crazy time wasn't it uh yeah at the start of covid well it, it was and i remember you putting a post on facebook about this 1.5 tonnes of cheese and now I was thinking, okay, who can I send this to in Brisbane? We've got to get rid of this cheese. Yeah. But, um, I mean, it, it's probably one of the first COVID pivots, hey, because it was really very much in the moment that you were scrambling to do that. And I didn't realise because I know now that you do the mould cheese collectives, like a sort of a mon monthly cheese boxes, but I hadn't quite joined the dots to realise that it sprang from those th that 
that period in the middle of March when we were all wondering what on earth was going on. Oh, absolutely. And, and again, it's that, it's that word pivot, right? And um, it's funny for, for anyone who probably knows me, I like, kind of like to move, like to think I can move pretty fast. But, you know, with the challenge of COVID coming in very, um, very rapidly, I actually felt like I kind of had to slow down a little bit because as everyone in that sort of mad scrambles it was, everyone was pivoting as fast as they possibly could. And I was sort of like, well, if you pivot too fast, you end up spinning and you end up going nowhere. And because mm. there was so much uh, peril, let's call it, in the in the system and anxiety around what was going to happen, I was like, okay, well, whatever we do, uh, it has to remain core to what we believe in or the event to be. And that was about connecting people to producers uh, and be on brand as to what, you know, and, and celebrating great Australian cheese. And I think what I've, it probably in hindsight, you know, we moved relatively fast, I think, when, when we made the call to set up the collective, but maybe we probably could have moved a little bit faster, but it because that we were still trying to understand what it actually meant because, I mean, let's face it, mass gatherings were the first to go and they will be the last to come back. And there's, I mean, there's an awful lot to unpack there. Uh, and I think with the collective was a really great way to go, okay, well, this is something we can do now uh and it's something that we can build and help and add value to uh not uh, not just cheesemakers but also the audience but not to do something this wasn't the time to do something frivolous if that makes sense and yeah because totally it was like if because i knew that we were in a COVID happened probably at the i mean it's never a great time for a global pandemic but from from our business it kind of hits us at right at a particularly vulnerable stage because we're coming out of a period where we haven't got um events and we'd already postponed um uh one of our events in february bread and circus which we you know with our co-founder sharon from the fermentary uh, because of the impact of the bushfires. So then we're going, okay, right, mm. let's go to March, let's get this, and then all of a sudden COVID. So we hadn't really run a major event until October. So we were in a pretty yeah. quite precarious position where we needed to get trading to get ourselves back up to scratch. So then all of a sudden, like, you know, our revenue went to zero, like within 24 hours. Uh, and So, Dan, let Sorry, let's just let's just pull back a little bit. And for people who don't know about Revel, and maybe they don't know about Pinapalooza, and they don't know who you mean when you say we, can you just give us the picture of uh, what your business was? Yeah. So again, uh, well, Revel, we uh, do events. Is probably the easiest way to ex describe it. And we've been running a major event called Pinapalooza. Uh, we uh, from 2019, we're running that in 13 cities and six countries. Uh, we run Molder Cheese Festival uh, and and a range of others, you know, whether it be Saki Matsuri and we're developing Bread and Circus with Sharon. And it's always been about um, uh, connecting people to primary producers uh, and having a damn fun time doing it at the same time. So, uh, you know, our team, we're, you know, I say used we, but we, we are a small team. There's five of us in total. And... I think this thing when something like COVID came along, it it, it as I said, it for mass gathering it stopped kind of overnight. And there's I think at that point it was a lot of uncertainty around what was happening and 
and I think, you know, looking at it at that point there for mould in Brisbane, where we're going, okay, right, well, let's push this down the road. Let's postpone the event uh, until uh, mid-August. Surely, six months. <laughs> that should be fine. <laughs> that should be okay. <laughs> you know, and, and it was like, okay, well, how do we move that? Um, and had to change that and change venues, and we worked really hard to try and get that. Um, I think we're really great, very lucky and grateful. We've got such a great, you know, our ticket holders were phenomenally supportive. Um, and, you know, they were like, yep, no worries, how can we help? And uh, which was incredible. But so, you know, in terms of our events itself, um, our last major event would have been in October uh, for Pinot Palooza in Brisbane, funnily enough. Uh, and it would have been around six months since we'd run another major event, which we were five days away from, which that stopped. So it, it, it was a pretty tough like time where you're kind of staring down the barrel going, wow, this is, um, well, this is it. Like, this could be it. But how do we uh, add value and how do we keep going uh, in a position of fiscal vulnerability? So hence, I sort of go back to what I was saying before about kind of slowing down a little bit because they said the peril was real and I was like I knew if there was one misstep that could have snowballed into um, absolute failure of the business and I think I think it was with anyone is like well how do we hold on how do we just grip on hard and keep us going until that point where we can get back to a sense of normal so hence we put our energies in in the mole collective and I think where I said to the team was, all right, guys, if we can run an event in another country where we don't even speak the language, I'm pretty sure we can figure out how to get a box of cheese to somebody in another state. Let's go. <laughs> and it was literally, and testament to the, to the team, you know, they did it. And, and it was just like, okay, and that's like with anyone through this period of pivots and change and, and, it's like anything, isn't it? It's that, that wonderful adage of we didn't have any money, so we had to think. And, mm-hmm. and when you sort of put under that pressure of going, okay, well, every dollar counts. How can we do this effectively and how do we help, not hinder, uh, and also or add further noise uh, to what was happening out there rather than, you know, and for us it's always been about, look, how do we help the producer? How do we sort of celebrate them? How do we champion them? And not, not using the words like save, um, save Australian cheese. You know, for me, I've always found that really, you know, uh, saving a farmer, you know, we should support and celebrate them. You know, I mean, as you probably, mm. you know, you've met farmers before, they're a bunch of resilient bastards, you know, like, um, and I think we, we should help them and celebrate them rather than save them. But Again, like a lot of the producers, they'd already been through challenges with the bushfires. They were just starting to, they were getting geared up uh, for a really massive Easter because there was incredible campaigns like um, uh, Empty Esky and, uh, you know, Road Trip for yep. Good and everyone was geared up for a really... We were all going to be out we there. We were all going to be out there. With our rescues. Absolutely. And then bang, it stopped again. So it was like the double whammy for a lot of producers. And so again, we did you gain some sort of perspective from talking to those people? Like, you know, as you say, super resilient, been through everything except perhaps a pandemic. Uh, (laughs) Would would they 
Did you get some sort of strength and sucker from those people? Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're incredible. And one of the things we've done you know, with Mould is, that we, again, we have our own humble little Mould podcast. Um, and that's been incredible to, again, document what's happening with them at that particular time as well. And they're, I mean, they're incredible. Like, uh, and I've had some really amazing conversations with them going, they, they hit their local communities. Um, they, there was a huge amount of support locally. And I think in general, especially in Australia, we're very much all about, like we were, as I said, we were geared up to get out to regional areas and support them. So there was this incredible goodwill uh, out there but it was a case of well, how do we get their product to people who are interested? And I think that's kind of where we looked at it going, okay, right, well, we'll take care of the digital stuff and the, the marketing and the comms and the websites and the, you know, all of that. And you make cheese, you get it to us, we'll get it out to people. And that was a, it was a good... And how's it been going? Has it been, has it been going well enough to keep your staff employed? Oh, it, it's incredible. It's been great. Look, it's certainly not replacing what we were doing and... But it's been it's been a journey and a challenge, absolutely, like anything. But it is like we've been managed to keep uh, the team, you know, all employed. If you know, we're all on four days a week. We're all on JobKeeper, of course. Um, but you know, I think the goal will be to get to a point where we're, f- I think, with any business, is to be able to be fiscally independent of JobKeeper. Um, but yeah. It's it is it's growing and it, it which is fantastic and we, we are enjoying it. Uh, it's kind of went to that point where we're like why why don't we do this before? This is great, um, but <laughs> but again, you know it's like pre COVID. Everyone's like you're so busy on the on the roller coaster. You just going we were going we'd go from one event to the other and you know we were doing around forty events a year of varying sizes in so many different cities and traveling a third of the year and. And I think for the first time ever, it was like, okay, guys, we have got one job. We've got one singular focus to channel our energies into rather than trying to juggle multiple event, event brands in multiple cities and multiple, multiple areas. But, but I should say as well, like you know, with, with, with events and mass gatherings, it's important to remember that you know, if one event stops, it's not just the event organiser. You know, events are an economic ecosystem that impacts hundreds of businesses. So for Mould alone, say for the Brisbane event, as well as postponing Melbourne and Sydney, that was around, worked it out, it's around 150 businesses that were involved in delivering that festival, as well as a multitude of staff, whether it be temporary and casual, for something like Pinot Palooza, at the Royal Exhibition Buildings, uh, you know, that's about 4,000 people. That's around 120 businesses for a one-day festival. So the impact of shutting down the mass gathering or events or arts industry, it's significant. And there was no real opportunity to uh, do takeaway sales or, you know, to, (laughs) to help keep going. And we were, you know, we're... Fortunate enough to go right. Okay, let's let's focus on our mold. But there's still other, you know, you know, the arts and live live music and uh, you know theatres and all of these things that you know we sometimes I think sometimes get forgotten a little bit in the in in the conversation around what's happening with COVID is because you know these yeah. are all you know 
I mean, I'm hospitality. I'm, I've been my entire career in hospitality. It is in my blood. I've always said that we're not in events, we're in hospitality. That's at the core value of what Revel believes. But saying that, hospitality does not have a monopoly on the culture of a city. It's insanely significant, absolutely, but so is the arts and theatre and live music and sporting events and all of these things add to the culture uh, and, and vibrancy of a city. So when all of that suddenly goes, it's, you know, it's, you know we're all in this together, kind of vibe. And, you know, it's important to remember the, that how, how valuable the arts sector is to, to Australia. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, do you think, like, you know, we're very connected to the hospitality world, so we do hear a lot of those conversations and, you know, conversations from people who want, you know, who are agitating for hospitality and for their businesses. Do you think that it's not quite like that in those other communities, in the arts community, for example? Oh, I think it's pretty hard when you have a federal government that has such a low opinion of the arts, you know, bordering on disdain. It's, it's very tough. There's been a lot of promises, but not a lot of delivery. Uh, and it is a challenge. And I look at, again, you know, it's not just us, like, but it is. It's you know, so many artists or musicians or anything like that that rely on uh, people coming together. And yes, I know there's the, the straightaway to counter to that is, oh, we'll just make the events virtual. But some things don't necessarily translate into a digital world. And then all of a sudden there's the questions of, okay, well, if we do do it virtually, are people willing to pay for it? And if they are willing to pay for it, will that revenue sustain uh, entire teams or artists? So I think it's a, you know, and there's been a lot of fantastic, uh, you know, pivots, especially in arts. When you look at um, Myth, who did a fantastic job of, you know, doing, doing that. Um, there's loads of live gigs. Sounds Australia are doing some incredible things. So there is some shifts uh, around it, but in terms of government, you know, especially in federal, uh, it's it's pretty lacking, um, and I don't really see that. Well, there's a, a there's a time. really clear antipathy to the arts oh. in at the federal level, and I mean, I think I it I think it's analogous to the antipathy towards universities, yes, and I find it yeah pretty perplexing. Uh, you know, especially as government does reach out to those those worlds for many things um, that the community obviously values, not not you know not least being a vaccine f against um, coronavirus, but also you know politicians are happy to stand um, 1.5 meters from a famous musician who's put on a concert to support you know whether it's bushfires, whether it's connecting us virtually through the pandemic. So I think. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's pretty bad. It's bad. It is bad for the arts, and I think the arts and hospitality do have so much um, in common, just in terms of way, you know, providing meaning to people's lives, providing uh, occasions for those uh, great connections that we're able to make um, as people. And yeah, I mean, there's there's natural affinity, I think. Oh, totally, and they're symbiotic. I mean, I spent most of my hospitality career working in this Melbourne CBD. 
Now, I mean, I can't tell you how many pre-theatre services and post-theatre services that I did. You know, it's all part of it, right? You know, it's all part of that whole going to the city and having an, a, a fabulous experience. So it's, it's intertwined. So I suppose I get, it is, it, it is hard and I get it, you know, again, I'm hospitality through and through and I love it. And I suppose I get a little frustrated, you know, there's been a lot of vitriolic commentary uh, you know, a, around the pandemic, and I get it. People are angry and frustrated, and it's hard. But you know, hosp- COVID won't be the death of hospitality. Like it won't. Like it just won't. Uh, it will. I think it will be better as a result, and it will thrive after. But to have just hospitality without everything else. You know, it's like it's like you don't go to a region to visit a winery. You go out to a region to visit for an entire experience. Uh, I go to restaurants not just for one thing, but I might go to multiple places in one night or see multiple aspects. You know, and that's the the beauty of it. And you know, hospitality is oh fuck, Danny. You know, it, I mean, it was pretty tough before COVID. You know. Uh, and everyone's talking about wanting to go back to normal. Normal was hard. Mm. Normal was really hard. Normal didn't work for everybody. No. And so why do you think that it will be better? Um, why do you think we'll come out of this better? Uh, because what it's probably doing is, if anything, COVID's shone a massive spotlight <laughs> on all of the vulnerabilities and challenges that uh, multiple industries have um, had to face but potentially ignored but we haven't had to because we've wrapped it up in this veil of positive social media posts where everything's okay uh, because we don't want to appear that there are some challenges so all COVID's doing is literally holding up a mirror and saying there are some real issues here and you have to deal with this and look you know, no business, I don't want any business to go under, but some places may, you know, not come back or not come out of COVID. And, but some businesses, I mean, you've seen hospitality evolve and you, you see these businesses turn up and some, you know, you kind of look at it and go, this is only being sustained because there's, there's it's such a, you know, should it should it really be there? You know, it's like just because it can doesn't mean you should. And it will be, if anything, it should be an equilibrium that will come out with some business don't and therefore others will be better. And if anything, uh, better systems will be in place, uh, better economics about how the actual business is run. But the innovation that's come out of COVID, it's been phenomenal. Like, you know, I think the model moving forward will look, uh, you know, ve- you know, there'll be some things that'll be the same, but some things will be really different. I mean, I, I look at straight away um, off the top of my head at the start of COVID, the, the Marion um, veggie boxes, right? I live north side and they were incredible. Like I was like, why didn't we have this before COVID? This is amazing. Like and the, the quality of produce mm. that was in those things was amazing to see groups like that really move fast to add value you know again meat smith as, as an example or you know angie the poker 
uh, and all these places that, you know, well, but, man, again, we talk about farmers being resilient, but, man, HOSPO are pretty hard too. You know, we'll be okay. Yeah, we've definitely seen a lot of resilience and creativity. You, you speak about, you know, seeing restaurants that perhaps um, you wonder if, you know, they were, they were necessary. We wonder whether Melbourne really needed them. When you think about things that, should change like what specifically are you talking about oh, look i think it's you, oh. look let's face it the, the, the cost of entry or the education that goes into uh or the, the barrier to enter in hospitality is relatively low now and i worked in wine for example and if we really start to break it down there's not really that much training uh that goes into teaching sommeliers, and I'll use this just as an example, of how to run beverage programs. Uh, and some venues, for example, they might have a turnover of, you know, anywhere between $2 million to $5 million a year. And sometimes they go, okay, you're into wine, okay, you can, you, you can run the wine program and we'll give you one shift a week to run it. Now, if you can imagine any... <laughs> You know, any financial management service going, I have a $5 million portfolio on eight hours a week, they'd kind of laugh at you with no training whatsoever uh, about how to actually run that portfolio. And, you know, there's a lot of challenges there that, you know, have come back to bite us. And I think now it's a case of going, right, everyone has to look at it and go, should we be doing this? What does this do? Will this actually help? Uh, you know, are our staff trained enough? Are they paid enough? And all of these things that we we just have to look at it uh, and 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 change the model. Uh, and again, I, I you know put it back to again what we do with some of our events. Like I, I we were doing we you know again I'll take the responsibility. I'll say I in this instance that if anything fails in our business that it's my fault. That we would do sort of things like oh, let's just give that a crack. Because you go, oh, well, let's just see how it goes. But and you know, probably maybe should we have done it? Probably not. And we paid the price for it to to end up getting us to a point where we were, you know, a business could be vulnerable. But I think longer term, we we have to be better for it. Or if we if we're not, then we've only got ourselves to blame. Because if you know, with any pivoting or what's happening now with hospitality, it's it's this idea of you know, if if it pivot and it works, you know, you're a genius. But if it fails, then, hey, you gave it a crack because it was COVID. Uh, but then coming out yeah. of it, it's going to be like, okay, well, right, you know, what what is the business that we really want to do? Do we want to go back to normal? Normal was really hard. So if you look at that example with the sommelier who's responsible for a reasonably large wine program but perhaps without the training or the support to make the best of it uh, and then you you flip it and say okay well there's a different scenario where that person is really well trained they're really well supported what are the advantages to that both for um, the consumer the person who comes in and wants to drink some wine and the business well, I think that also, and I should say as well, that's a similar example. But we could also we could also say the same for chefs. Um, you know, sure. we talk about food costs and how to actually run. It's the business of hospitality, is you know is critical. And I think we've we've failed a lot in terms of not educating 
uh, and training stuff on the business of hospitality. Um, I think people understand that the, the philosophy of hospitality and the skills that go around service, that type of thing, but the business is, is a bit of a challenge. So the, the value that that would be is a case of, it's like anything, like when, when I started, I, was, I knew I had to justify my existence in any job. Uh, I had to show value to the business, but also to the value to the customer. Uh, and I think, you know, it very much depends upon the restaurant itself, doesn't it? Uh, and, you know, I, I look at some places and again, I've similarly my whole career, some, some, some place you go, well, we probably don't need it. We just need, we need a manager to, to run that side of the business uh, moving forward. But also at the same time, you, you could argue that a lot of restaurant um, uh, would run or rely on the profitability of the beverage program to heighten up the challenges and uh, and costs within the food side of the business. And so therefore it's like, yeah. it's robbing Peter to pay Paul. So it's like, well, let's have a look at everything and go, you know, do we need this? Do we overcapitalize? And I think, again, that goes into so many other systems that come, up, come in place. And it's not just a matter of saying to customers, well, you have to spend more. I kind of find that really annoying. It's like blaming the consumer. It's like, well, man, you know, that that's an easy, that's a that's a very easy get out, uh, because, but there's so, there's there's a multitude of factors that go into it. I mean, look at rents, commercial rents, and things like that. Uh, you know, I think COVID's going to really has shown that a lot of rents, uh, commercial rents, are probably too high. Uh, mm. You know, venues would you know would overcapitalize in their initial investment, you know, all of these things we've got to look at and go, you know, do we need, you know, in building a kitchen, does it, do you need a massive kitchen? I mean, anyone who's gone to Napier Quarter and had dinner there, you don't need a big one for amazing food, you know? <laughs> so it's, <laughs> I'm not saying. Oh, Dan, now you may be sad. It's out of my 5K. Oh, I can't even go there for a sandwich. Uh, look, um, sitting, in the, sitting in the window at Napier key- Quarter is one of my greatest joys and I miss it terribly. Yeah. <laughs> That's a peak Melbourne experience. I suppose, you know, what I what I wonder when you're talking about that example, you know, and the, obviously the smell is just an example. We're not picking picking on Soms or, or, or wine. But I feel like as a diner, I'm if I'm paying for wine, I, I'm doing it at a restaurant because I want a bit of an experience Correct. as well. Correct. I don't know much about wine. I'd love some guidance. I'd love to know why this wine is... Um, you know, suggested for this dish. Mm. Um, and that probably is something that, you know, whether either I'd be prepared, either, either I'd be prepared to pay a bit more for it or I would understand what it was that I was paying for in the first mm. place. So I think there's definitely, if you can demonstrate value, I think people will meet you there. Oh, absolutely. And that goes for everything, doesn't it? Uh, whether it's wine service or cocktails or bars or pubs or anything. It's like, uh, you know, it does the experience match the offering uh, and people will support it absolutely I wholeheartedly believe it I mean the fact that a lot of venues have managed to stay afloat by takeaway and deliveries that says that there is an audience and a public out there who wholeheartedly love hospitality and we're worrying about it dying like fuck off no way like we'll be fine the, the people are ready they're, they're there they're, they're there to love it and they love going out and dining We'll be, we'll be okay. Hold the line. We're almost there. You know, it's always hardest at the end. 
you know, we, I, I want to go to the pub and have a beer as much as the next person. But, you know, but also hospitality, I suppose, bringing back to events is that hospitality will leave the roadmap to mass gatherings. So as much as I know it affects my business, I don't want hospitality to open too early, too soon, and then have another wave. Because, you know, if I'm looking to events and gatherings like, say, for Mole, you know, we're, I'm mainly thinking maybe 500 people, maybe in March. You know, that will be 18 months before we'd run a major event. That's, a, mm. that's an incredibly long time for any business to survive. Now, you know, like anything, what we, you know, it's still perilous uh, what, what we're doing. But I think I, I, reconcil- I reconciled early on that, okay, this could be it, right? This could be it. This could be the end of my business as I know it. So then I was like, okay. And as soon as I reconciled that, I was like, well, how do you want to go out? And I was like, well, well I want to go out with the same uh, drive and focus that we had when we run the business. I was like, all right, well, let's get on with it. Like, let's let's do the collective. Let's see what let's see what value we can add. Let's hold on. Let's show the same resilience. Let's help and support our community and our producers. Let's celebrate and champion the cheesemakers and also the wine producers. You know, and let's just hold on. We'll get there. Do you think we will get there? But will, I mean, have you considered not going back to mass gatherings? Have you, has that been a a question that you've posed along the way? Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, Last weekend uh, was October 3 and we should have been running Pinot Palooza at uh, Melbourne and that's 4,000 people. And I look back at the photos there and it's pretty, pretty hilarious. You look at it and go, wow, that's like another world. Um, you know, I think yeah. gatherings of... All those germs. Oh, it's, it's phenomenal, right? Like, like I look at, <laughs> just, just say, for example, here's a, here's a funny anecdote. Just say, for example, we can run an event of 4,000 people. And let's just say we're all comfortable doing that. Um, I'd say that's probably 12 to 18 months away. How do you deal with spittoons? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. How do you deal with spittoons? You know, spittoons were gross before COVID, but people spitting out into a bucket near a stand that was just open, you know, and then, so how do we, how do you deal with it? So the question is like, you know, mold's a little bit easier because there's, it's more food, it's, it's consumed, but I look at wine festivals of that scale and I go, oh, gee, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what, if that can work. And this sort of goes back to, you know, we'll just make, just do a virtual tasting and, and I, a lot of people say that to me at the start. I'm like, well, I don't know about you, but watching someone talk about wine on TV was boring before COVID. Just, before, just because we're at home, uh, you know, doesn't mean it's more entertaining. And, and at the biggest... It's not. It's about being there. It's about being there. It's the experience. So some things don't translate. So, and again, even with wine, I mean, again, I'm talking about shining a spotlight on things. Like very early on, I looked at, Pinot Palooza and go, well, one of the biggest challenges we face is the fact that wine is in a stupid 750 mil glass bottle. Like, and because I'm going, okay, well, maybe we could do a tasting at someone's home, but we have to send them three or four bottles. And I was like, well, I've got a bit of an issue with encouraging people to open multiple bottles of wine during a period of high stress and anxiety in their own home. Should we Mm. be doing that? Yeah. I, I was like, no, I don't want to do that. So, 
you know, we're, we're working on a, a thing at the moment where we're almost got it ready to, to announce and we think it's pretty cool, but it, it's a way to sort of find that happy medium between it. But the whole point of mass gatherings is connection and being with friends and having a fun and having a party in an environment. And, you know, it, we'll look, I'll say that for Pinot Palooza, we're going to give it a big swing at what we think it could be. I'm not saying it's what it should be or what it could be, but it goes back to why Pinot Palooza existed in the first place. And that was to change the way wine tastings were done and a rebel against the death by masterclass philosophy or you know the, the old white man masterclass that had been ingrained in wine for such a long time. And I feel like, you know, I'm quite proud of us and the team that I feel that we, we accomplished that. So now it's like, okay, right, let's go back to the core value of what Palooza is all about. And what can a wine festival be like or wine tasting be like in a world post-COVID? Let's chase, let's face that challenge and let's ask some really hard questions and, and lean into that rather than sort of, you know, push back against it. Like, you know, it's like, oh, I want to go mm. back to normal. It's like, no, it's not, forget about normal. Like, let's look at like, what does it mean? Like, lean into it and, you know, let's find the innovation and rewrite the rules because, you know, the rule book's gone. We just have to, you know, be confident within the skills. And that's, again, what I say back, I'm confident in hospitality. I'm so confident that hospitality will thrive as a result because there's so many great operators. I love it, Dan. I love your optimism. <laughs> and um, as we all move closer to uh, towards a COVID-safe spittoon, uh, I really <laughs> it's look so gross, to, isn't it? Right <laughs> to seeing what you come up with. Yeah, it's it's been a pleasure over the years to watch you shake up that stayed world of of wine tasting. Or not to say it's always stayed, but it certainly can be. And you've certainly brought a different energy to it and introduced a lot of people to a lot of wines in a way that is, um, yeah, it's not pretentious. It's welcoming, and that's that's to be celebrated. Um, I'm really grateful to have you speak to us today on Dirty Linen and to, yeah, give us a bit of a, a different vision for how things could be. So thank you so much for sharing your views today. Thanks so much, Danny. And again, I have to say thank you for your advocacy uh, and passion and enthusiasm for all things hospitality for this podcast and to Hux, to Anthony Huxtep and everyone at uh, Deep, in the, uh, Deep in the Woods. Uh, thank you for all that you do. It's incredible. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure to be part of the Weeds team and I'll give a shout out to our producer, Rob Locke, as well. So, yeah, thanks so much, Dan. We'll talk soon. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production.